originally I was like, this is ridiculously bad. And now I'm like, this is actually kind of brilliant. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Good Vibes Only, the podcast about only good vibes. No, just kidding. This is Design Huddle. Uh, I'm back with Mustafa. Everyone's very, their, their favorite topic is what's new in design. Um, so this episode's focused on design news. Um, we have three, three, you know, articles that we've seen of late, one of which is a little older, but I think it's super interesting. So let's dive into yeah. the topics. The first that we'll be talking about is the UX of Lego interface panels. So growing up, I was a massive Lego fan. So never okay. would I ever imagine that the, the, the toy growing up and the interface panels growing up uh, would be connected to my real world, my real life job. But it's so cool the way that this is broken down. So the article is from interactionmagic.com. I'm going to read the, the, the intro paragraph just to kind of set the scene. I highly recommend we'll link out uh, the article, but the visuals are so cool. Uh, anyways, this is again from August 2020, a little outdated, but still a great read. Piloting an ocean exploration ship or Martian research shuttle is a serious business. Let's hope the control panel is up to up to scratch. Two studs wide and angled at 45 degrees, the ambiguous 2 by 2 decorated slope is a Lego minifigure's inter- interfer- interface to the world. These iconic low-resolution designs are a perfect tool to learn the basics of physical interface design. Armed with 52 different bricks, let's see what they can teach us about design, layout, and organization of complex interfaces. Welcome to the world of Lego UX design. <laughs> yeah, and so, I saw the article. I was really blown so away. The, 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 the other thing I want to just call out real quick is that there's a... <laughs> They do uh, like a um, what's it called when you like put stuff on a grid? It's like there's four quadrants, um, but whatever. There's four quadrants, and one of them is organized, no screen, chaotic, and all screen. And then they actually graph <laughs> where the, where each interface kind of like lands on. So it's a very like creative way to demonstrate um, physical you know interface design, which I have no background in, but. Mustafa, what are your thoughts? No, I thought it was really interesting, especially when they were talking about, they looked at Soviet panel design, which again, these are things which you realize these were UX problems when designing like these big mega computers. Um, And they talked about the safety of, um, I think it was like cars or was it airplanes that that keep crashing. And so they realized that, I think it was, yeah, I think it was uh, planes kept crashing in one of the first world war, second world war. and they realized part of the problem was where the thing, the buttons were really far away from each other because you've got a split second to make a choice on what you're actually doing. Um, and so they started breaking down things by sound, by touch, by distance. Um, 
and it was quite interesting. Um, I think one of the examples they gave in a car where uh, the off button was next to a common function, so people kept switching off the car. <laughs> and it's like, because you know, so they say, this is needles and these are poison tip needles, that's the common meme. So it's like, when actually designing interfaces, you have to think about the super buttons which or super actions which will do something, like the destructive or um, creative actions should be separated from things which are like common dismissive actions which is like you know uh that are not important to the, the overall experience so i think it's like really detailed and it's just it's just lego but i yeah. mean it's like breaking down and how you actually break down user interfaces they talked about the gestalt principles which is a series of um psychological principles that explain um elements with how the relationship of elements on a page or on a screen and how they uh, are relatable. So one story, which I've, I don't know if I've told this one before, is when I was on a flight um, and there was a, a toilet sign, uh, sorry, a bathroom sign, as you say in America. Yeah. Um, and it was next to, like, it, it would light up uh, green and the whole flight people walk up to the sign and then open the door next to it and it was the cupboard and people would be really confused. And I always make the joke of, if you open up a door on a plane and something unusual happens, you never open any more doors after that point. And the whole flight, the, the hostess was like, no, 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 it's the door opposite. But so it's like proximity like implies relationships. And so people will make these assumptions based on the closeness of proximity. And so when you're designing user interface, if you want to create a collection of functions which do something like create document, delete document, whatever, those will be grouped together. And then if it's like style styling text, those things would be grouped together. So just how they break down um, these really beautiful Lego pieces, which you wouldn't, I, I mean, I don't really do Lego. So I just found it really interesting of using that as the metaphor to explain a UI design. I thought it was quite cool. Yeah, I mean, so they also broke it into like um, six different coatings in the use of Lego interfaces, size, shape, color, texture, position, and operation. So. Yeah. They have examples for each. It's just funny because you have to have so much appreciation for the creative team at Lego that they put so much thought and detail into these yeah. little things that I did not appreciate as a child. But and I also didn't realize there was this many like um, interfaces. They also have ones that are uh, they they mentioned about like the complexity of these panels, right? Where there's less buttons, it's uh, less clear. And then there's ones that are more clear and how the buttons are categorized. And I yeah. immediately kind of thought of um, when I'm looking at these, these are probably really old, but it reminds me of, um, you know, the popularity of like cards where it kind of looks like you know, there's like, you know, rounded gradients and it's like, uh, you know, it's on. Yeah. Like, it's it's common everywhere, but it almost looks like these panels are designed using like OG cards. Like they're literally yeah. like rounded edges with buttons inside, very similar to now where we have like an image with a product detail, for example. So, I just think it's funny that like there's you can find inspiration in design like anywhere, from physical products to toys to, you know anywhere so I, I think that for me was like one of the coolest parts is that someone took something that they clearly like and they made this amazing very detailed article on it um yeah, Lego reminds, yeah. And the Lego kind of reminds me of like of Ikea 
um yeah, as a company it's like it's just so like everything is considered that you, you you kind of wonder how it's like maybe like a bit like ido as well it's like it's the kind of company if you can't imagine getting a job there because it's so unique in what it designs that the people there are clearly passionate about what they do like there's no other way that you couldn't work it you couldn't just, it's not just sticking bricks together there's something much more deep going on yeah so and, and it's really i think the most beautiful thing to see is someone who's passionate about the thing that they do like to me it's like and when they explain it i think that's just wonderful it could be about cars and you may not even be a car person but just the passion makes you think man i want to buy a car <laughs> um so i think <laughs> I, that's what i like about these kind of articles is where someone who clearly loves this level of detail and the passion for it um and you can't believe the the level of detail so yeah it's really really cool yeah so um yeah I, I couldn't agree more we'll link it out check it out it's a it's a it's a great read so this the second one that i want to make sure that we covered was from the creative blog it's very new it only dropped three hours ago um so it's trending right now but it's why hockney's mocked london underground art is actually genius Obviously, I'm not the expert on London, so I'll defer to Mustafa on this one, and he can give like a brief overview of like what this means. If you're not familiar, the London Underground is obviously the subway system. I think everyone. Yeah, so London's metro system is basically uh, so the London metro system is very famous in terms of the graphic design world. Um, the typeface that was used there was, um, I think it's called Johnson originally, and it was uh, there was an iteration like Gill Sands, designed by Eric Gill. Or Jill mm -hmm. Sands, Eric Jill, um, and so a lot of the iconography, this, this, the, the what we call it, the tube, which is like our metro system, underground system, um, the the shapes iconic, the maps iconic, and so it has a very traditional design history, uh, very rich for the last hundred years or so. And David Hockney's been asked to design or redesign some of the signs, um, and I'll be honest, when I saw this, I thought it's like the London Olympics logo all over again. It is the biggest pile of crap. <laughs> I just and uh, he's a famous artist. I get, it, but it's and people say this is genius. I look at that and I think it just seems like such a cynical thing to design. Sorry, this is the most negative I've been, but I can because I'm British and it's a British artist. Um, it's just such a cynical thing. I mean, yeah, they, it would have been better if they just got Banksy to do something. Do you know what I mean? Because then at least it has some sort of credit. Like you know, yeah. Hockney's really famous, but that i think would be much more telling of the time um and on twitter the level of comic people because it just looks like a child's drawing like each because the 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 underground or the the metro systems i said what we call in the uk we call it the underground because the metro system is predominantly underground um is a circle with a line going through it and that's kind of like um <laughs> but like the that's the the basic shape and then <laughs> What he's done is just, it looks so like childlike. So people on Twitter have just done all these different versions, which are just basically sarcastic interpretations. And people are like saying, hey, look, keep your DMs open. I'll give you six pounds for each one of these rubbish drawings. And people are quite angry. But I suppose the genius is that people are talking about it. If you want to take that. It, as it, it, I mean, like the best way of describing it is it, it, it looks like someone made it like in... <laughs> Paint. like paint like paint like i think and so like originally i was like this is ridiculously bad and now i'm like this is actually kind of brilliant like <laughs> oh not you as well <laughs> ryan this is gonna our relationship's gonna be affected forever after that um yeah 
I mean, so how many? How many different? Was it just the one? I, I saw the one that was like a circle with like a. Um, I guess that's like the obviously the tube, but like, how, was there different variations, or was it just the same I symbol? Think it's one, it's a it's a series of major art projects commissioned. Well, the the, the mayor of London says it's a brilliant work from David Hockney in Piccadilly, which Piccadilly is an area which was a famous station, Piccadilly Circus. Um, the first of a series of major art projects we've commissioned as part of our new brand, Let's Do It London campaign. Um, and if you just look at the replies to the two, like Spec Savers, which is a very famous brand, and they're, they're, it's like a glasses brand. And they're, they're, they've always had this slogan, like, you sh- like the, their ads will be someone does something silly. Um, and then the slogan is, you should have gone to Spec Savers, as in buy glasses. And Spec Savers has replied to the actual mayor saying, see me. <laughs> so it's like you know brands on twitter basically trolling the mayors like it's a joke um and if you just see the oh my god monzo which is a famous bank or it's like a digital bank they've replied to the mayor then here's one for you from our collection perhaps a new exhibition and they've just written monzo in what looks like paint as well (laughs) and then i think that well this is the thing with brands right like it depends on what you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to enrage people, if you want to get people to talk about it, it's a great way of doing it. Um, but it, it just seems really sarcastic and cynical. Um, you know, and again, it's like, you're a famous artist. Like, I know you might be bored, <laughs> but then, you know, this doesn't do anything for British art, I'll tell you that, man. <laughs> No, I totally, I totally hear you. Um, what's the reaction like? Have you talked to any friends or family? Have they kind of said anything, or it was the first time you saw this online? <laughs> no, well, I saw it on Twitter, and people like taking the cake. I don't know if that's the American or taking the mick, or what they say, say in the UK, taking the biscuit or taking something. Um, well, he's obviously taken something to do this kind of work. Uh, <laughs> when that, the thing is, no one's really people are quite reluctant to go on the underground due to COVID or the the metro system. Um, but the thing is, if they would, Banksy was doing like artwork, like obviously with no permission, spraying the inside of an entire carriage with rats and saying, like basically he was trying to, at the time, I think it was this time last year, trying to bring attention to COVID and wearing a mask. So he had all these rats sneezing. Um, that's actually quite socially conscious, you know, trying to educate people. Um, and obviously in a single cynical ploy, Transport for London took that train out of service and just put it into a museum. It's like, that's not where graffiti is supposed to be seen, man. It's supposed to be on the streets. Sorry, I'm getting really angry by this. No, I watched (laughs) a documentary documentary on this because it's, uh, I mean, it was like about Banksy and uh, who's the other guy that he's like rival that passed away? Robo. Um, Rob? Robbie? Rob? Robo, yes. 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 Um, but the documentary was awesome. It just kind of got into the culture and how a lot of graffiti artists viewed Banksy as like a sellout because his were a little bit too orchestrated. And the thing I found interesting is Banksy. I love Banksy. I think his stuff is really cool. And I like the, the messages behind his work. Um, I like how much thought goes into him, but a lot of the, his design inspiration came from other artists. So like he wasn't the first to do the stencils. Like that was like, there's been plenty of other, uh, graffiti artists that kind of create the stencils and then spray it. I think he was the one that made it popular. But um, when I lived in when I lived in New York, there was a 
two or three Banksy's within walking distance. And since they've been like, man, like they're only up for like a very short amount of time before they're vandalized unless they're protected. Um, and then obviously everyone now cuts them out of the wall and they resell them, but that's just, I'm, I'm going, I'm <laughs> going down a rabbit hole, but I do find this incredibly interesting. And I think I've seen some of the coolest graffiti in the entire world. It has to be in London. Like there's just so much cool, like, um, I'm not sure if it's kind like of calmed down art. now. Um, but it definitely, um, heavily inspired by New York, obviously, but then the stencil thing became quite big. Um, so yeah. That artwork, I don't know. Again, maybe I'm showing my age, but then Hockney is much older than myself. You know, there was a conspiracy theory that people thought Banksy was David Hockney. That they thought it was in one of his actual... <laughs> I mean, I don't think it is the case. Um, but that oh, there really? was a, a conspiracy theory about that's that. That's funny. Do you think that's true? Uh, I don't know. Who do you think Banksy is? Do you think it's a group or a person? Uh, it's definitely a person. I mean, there's a guy that it's like an open secret. There's a person called Robert Gunningham. I think it's like the person who's most likely. Um, and like, there's a famous uh, drum and bass DJ called um, Goldie who was talking about him off camera. And he, he, he re referred to him as Robbo or uh, Robert. Um, and so there's like, you know, possibly this person. But then, you know, it's at this point, like many famous artists, he probably hires people to create stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's not uh, just him anymore. Like he might sign things or overseas has become more like a studio. Like, you know, what's his name? The guy in, in LA uh, who did all the eBay stuff. Uh, oh, God. American artist. Andre the Giant stuff he used to do. Shepard Ferry, that's it. So Shepard Ferry probably hires, like he has a studio and gets people to do like the specific stuff, but he might um, art direct. Um, well, the, well it, yeah. the other thing that's not just the graffiti that's cool too is they also Banksy did one in New York where he got a oh 30 days in New yeah, York yeah like one of them it was like a meat truck um, like you would like transport animals in and he put a bunch of stuffed animals in there like playing like I guess I think it was like sounds of animals like being slaughtered through the meatpacking district of New York so there was like massive crowds following it and like blocked off traffic and it was like one was the bubble writing with uh, balloon bubbles yeah. was the one which I yeah. saw, um, and he never got caught. That's what's crazy. To yeah, me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you look at the map of where he did it in New York, he did it all over the place. And sometimes I don't get the yeah. rationale behind some of the locations, and I mean, most of them today. Well, he went into the Bronx. Yeah, right? one was in the Bronx, and but like, he... you know, a uh, yeah, it was in a, it was in a, a neighborhood with a lot of crime, and. Yeah, there was uh, people charging people like tourists to take photos yeah, of that. it. So there was like a lot of like trickle down economies that came from it. But the documentary is really good. The, what was interesting about the guys who were charging people said like you lot would never come to this part if, if it wasn't for this. So what did it say about you? And that's what I actually thought. Do you know what? That's actually really interesting and clever. And you may think that may have actually been a part of Banksy's thing of educating people. It's like you're only like how cynical are the whole of you if you're only right. coming here just to see this work you wouldn't care about this neighborhood otherwise um and so yeah no it's pretty interesting and then people fighting over his artwork and trying to take stuff and sell stuff and this yeah. and there's a guy who was selling the artwork in a market stall and no one was looking at it they were legitimate banksies and people have them in their house and they have no idea how they have something that's worth like 40 grand um but there yeah. you go yeah, that's that one but it's interesting we'll link that one out as well 
the last one is from the creative review. It's about how brands found their voices during the pandemic and what comes next. Um, in some previous, in the previous episode, we talked about like, you know, how companies use COVID, uh, to make more innovative, you know, business models and, uh, websites. So you can check that out, um, on anchor or YouTube. It's probably the best spot, but anyways, getting back to this one, um, I'll, I'll kind of just read the intro as I do. We'll react to it and also just kind of add a little bit of color um, for what we think as well. But coronavirus has put a tone of voice at the top of the agenda and it's changing the way brands approach their communications as a whole. For a long time, tone of voice was like dishwasher salt. Everyone knew it was important, but no one really knew why. And they certainly didn't want to spend money on it. Um, we're announcing a brand refresh. Agencies would talk enthusiastically about the new tone of voice. All too often, it was just talk. The voice amounted to a few words, human, engaging, down to earth, buried on page 347 of the brand book. After a bit about web safe fonts, that was it. There was no guidance about what this actually meant outside of a campaign, no deeper plan for how a brand could communicate in a compelling and distinctive way. Um... Yeah, tell me more. Like, what do you? What are your thoughts on this? Do you know? Do any brands come to mind? Uh, so, I mean, a lot of the food type brands I've seen in the UK, in particular, focused all around family, and sort of like the family moments of lockdown. So you see, like Heinz, and who obviously they have a variety of things. Um, a lot of picturing people and families, and so just being cognizant of that. I think those stuff is you have to be really careful as a brand doing that because sometimes again that comes across as maybe you're being cynical or you're using the pandemic but then some people resonate with that kind of imagery almost like you know we're we're in it together type stuff um but i don't know i mean sometimes it's interesting some of yeah yeah no, sorry the other thing that comes to mind is like a lot of like um soap brands were like just giving almost like public information in their ads and on one side you think actually that's it's very noble of them but then on the other side someone like yeah but you are just talking you know i just like selling products here so again it's, it's part of my rebellious nature is to question the um the, the the genuineness yeah but then everyone's got to make money right so <laughs> can you hate on these brands for doing this is there is, is there any examples that you can think of that did a poor job like is there anything that comes across for you that like, um, I mean, there's gotta be plenty of people. Um, I just watched this Netflix documentary. I think people, about, quite, um, people are quite sensitive. Like I think companies are quite sensitive what going on. Um, I saw some companies like from Asia who were treating the virus as a joke and doing viral videos where um, they'll, again, they're playing on stereotypes of someone from an Asian background, like deliberately coughing to get like, everyone in the Starbucks to clear so they can get to the front of the queue. And in, in the beginning with all the memes that were going around seemed funny, but then you realize that that's actually perpetuating a really horrible stereotype. Right. So I think from that point of view, that was quite, you say, maybe they're just playing on it. Um, but then a year later with like that community suffered horrendously across yeah. the world from prejudice. Was that really a wise thing to do? Was that, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's definitely really like joke a ton about? of brands that um hold on let me see if i can find any other ones that were um there was another one that's ch that jumped out at me 
Let me see here. Yeah, there was an article that I remember reading from Forbes um, about, what was it called? Oh, here it is. The good and bad of COVID-19 ads in the new Heartland. Um, it kind of just talks about like different companies and what they did. So there was one that, um, a lot of this is similar to what we did last time. Like KFC did like a Sunday dinner. So a survey by morning consult revealed that customers didn't want advertisers to keep beating the new normal, like that most overused term ever, the new normal. Yeah. Whether it's news or companies, everyone kept saying that in every commercial or ad into their heads. Instead, 44% of people wanted to know how brands were adjusting their services as a result of widespread restrictions. So one, so this is like, this is also like interesting is like the ultimate way to show that your brand cares is by, um, rather than advertising, this gets back to like what we've talked about before, advertising the benefits. So if there was an industry that got absolutely, you know, decimated during this was hospitality. So now every hotel um, yeah. is part is basically highlighting the cleaning company that they're partnering with, all of the measures they take to protect their guests. Those are the new benefits, and I think that's going to continue. Um, Airbnb does the same thing. They have like a deep clean fee that they charge now, which is kind of kind of bullshit that they push that back on the customer when that should just be standard. But um, yeah, the bottom, the bottom line is, is that I think that's, I think this is an interesting take, right? Where like people are tired of hearing the same thing. So an opportunity here is to reassure people that your company, your brand is doing the right things to make them feel more comfortable in the situation. Um, yeah, there was another one hotels.com. Um, there, there was one that said since 2013, a lot of yeah. uh, appeared in ads for hotels. Yeah, you have to be ob- Captain you, you have to be careful. Yeah. You have to be careful not to be cynical with people. Yeah, I mean, this was so. You remember hotels.com had Captain Obvious? Do you remember that ad or no? Yeah. Yeah, but a- a- anyways, the lo- long story short is like there's a ton of companies yeah. that had opportunities to like. <laughs> Yeah, make yeah, yeah. the most of this so um all right well that's it thank you for tuning in to design huddle this was your design news for the week and we will catch you on the next episode peace when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Thank you for listening to today's episode of Design Huddle. The opinions expressed are solely our own and do not express the views or opinions of our employer.